Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Would you please join me as we pause to ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word. Our gracious Father, we approach your throne today in and through the mighty name of Jesus, our high priest, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who gave his life that we might have life. We come today asking for help. Help to understand your word, to appropriate the truth that is found here into our lives. Help to keep our focus upon the everlasting God. To live with eternity in view. So today, Father, we invite you to Move among us by your Spirit, giving insight, understanding, driving home the truth into each of our lives for the sake of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We pray these things. Amen. Have you ever found yourself so fixated on something that you you lose sight of the big picture? Right? You're you're focused on one thing and you miss the context of what's happening around you. Well, back in 2003, a Chicago Cubs fan named Steve Bartman was attending a game of his beloved Chicago Cubs. It was the National League Championship Series. His beloved Cubs were winning the series three games to two. It was the eighth inning, and they were winning three to nothing. If they won this game, they would go to the World Series. They're winning the game three nothing, and and the uh, Florida Marlins were up to bat. It was one out. And the batter hit a foul ball toward Bartman, who was sitting just on the edge of the foul line in the field, on the left field. And and he saw that ball coming, and he thought to himself, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could take home this this souvenir from this wonderful game? And so he's watching as this ball is coming, and he reaches his hands out to catch the ball. The ball hits his hands and falls into the crowd. But what he didn't know was that Moise Alou, who was the left fielder for the Chicago Cubs, had come over to catch the ball to make the second out. And because he hit the ball, he prevented the player from his own team from making the catch. As a result, that batter walked and got on first base. It began a rally of 11 
11 runs. The Chicago Cubs ended up losing that game and the subsequent game after that and did not go to the World Series. Here's what Bartman said after the game. I had my eyes glued on the approaching ball the entire time. I was so caught up in the moment that I didn't even see Moise Alou, much less that he may have had a play on the ball. Had I thought for one second that the ball was playable or that he had a, a shot, I would not have gotten in the way. In fact, he says, I would have done whatever I could do to get out of the way and give him a chance to make the catch. As a result of his focus on the one thing and not seeing the big picture, he at least played a part in his team losing and not being able to go to the World Series. In fact, many of the fans blamed Steve Bartman solely for the fact that their Cubs didn't make it to the World Series. In fact, he couldn't go to another game for years until in 2016 when they finally made it and won the World Series. But you know, so many times we, like Bartman, get fixed on one thing, one issue. Maybe it's a problem in our life. The circumstances become so overwhelming that we can't see beyond this thing. We miss the big picture. We miss what God is doing beyond our situation and even through our situation. And when we stay focused there, we can miss out on seeing what God is doing. We might even miss out on being part of what God is doing. Because we're fixated on the issue, on the problem, on our circumstances. We miss the big picture. In our text this morning in Philippians 1, 20, um, uh, 12 through 20, uh, we, we see the Apostle Paul reflecting to the Philippian believers on his own circumstance. Which you'll recall from last week, he's writing from imprisonment. Most likely in Rome. And he's awaiting a trial before the emperor. And he's in prison because of his faith in Christ. And there's a potential that if the trial does not go well, he will lose his life. And he's reflecting to them his perspective on his circumstances. And what from this, we can learn how to walk in our present circumstances with eternity in view. Listen to what he says, starting with verse 12. <clears throat> I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. 
What then? Only that in every way. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Imagine you're the people in Philippi. The Apostle Paul is the person directly responsible for the church in Philippi. Might even have been the one to lead you to Christ. And for many within that church and, and many in, in, in all the other churches that Paul had a connection with. From a human standpoint, the Apostle Paul is the, the man that is, is uh, leading the charge. The gospel of Christ that was going out into this world. He's in prison. And he may die. There goes our hopes for the gospel going forth. There goes, there goes all this that we've been living for. They must have been discouraged. They must have thought all their hopes are being dashed. So Paul says, I want you to know something. In fact, the word know here is, means to, be, to fully grasp. He says, I want you to get hold of this. I want you to grab onto this. I want you to know this beyond any shadow of doubt that not only has my circumstance of being in prison, not only has it not prevented and hindered the gospel, it is going forth full steam ahead. This thing that I'm experiencing has actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. It's not that this thing that's happening to me is, is the doomsday, is, is, is the, the, the ruining of all this. In fact, God, who sits on the throne of the universe, is using this difficult circumstance that I am in to cause the advancement of the cause of Christ. There are three truths that are that come out of this text that we need to keep in mind. If we're going to walk through our present difficult circumstances with an eternal perspective, with eternity in view. And the first is that God wants to use your present circumstances to advance the cause of Christ. God is at work in what you and I go through here in this life to advance the cause of Christ. That's what he's doing with Paul in his imprisonment. He says the progress of the gospel goes forth. And then verse 13 says, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ or for the cause of Christ has become well known. That is, it has shone forth like a bright light throughout the whole 
praetorian guard, the Roman guards who were in charge of not only Paul, but of the, of the city itself. These are responsible men who were in the know, who had tremendous influence. And he says not only them, but to everyone else as well. <laughs> These guards were right there with Paul, chained to him at times. While, while people came to visit Paul, and Paul encouraged them in their faith, they were right there hearing them. While Paul dictated the letters that he wrote from prison, the letter of Ephesus, the letter to Colossae, this letter, as he's dictating these letters to an amanuensis, a, a scribe to write them down, the soldiers are right there listening. You can bet that all this time when he's chained to this guy, he's talking to him about the Lord. Sharing his own personal story and the, the many things that he's been through. And how Christ has been faithful in all of this. Not only that, but these men had a responsibility to know a little about this trial. So they had to research the gospel. Because that's why he was in prison. So Paul says, all of this is causing the gospel to go forth. Not to mention, which he doesn't, his attitude in this, we don't know, but we know what his attitude was in other times when he was in prison, when he was in prison in Philippi. What did he do? He had a hymn sing. And it brought the house down. This is how Paul dealt with difficult circumstances. And this is part of the reason why the gospel continued to advance even in the midst of it. Here's the principle. How we handle our circumstances can either advance the cause of Christ or diminish it or hinder it. How we walk through our difficult circumstances can either bring light to the gospel and to who Christ is and to the genuineness of, of Christian faith, or it can hide it in the dark. You see, nothing speaks more clearly to a person who is lost. What I mean by a person who is lost, could be an unbeliever, could be anyone who is looking for purpose, value, meaning in life, but don't know where to find it. Somebody who is unsure of themselves and unsure of, of why they're here, unsure of where they're headed, unsure of all of this stuff, which is probably the majority of people in this world. The majority of people that you and I interact with regularly in this world. Nothing speaks more clearly to a person who is lost than seeing someone who is resolute in their faith in the face of uncertain and difficult circumstances. Warren Wearsby, it says, sometimes God has to put chains on His people to get them to accomplish a pioneer advance of the gospel. It could never happen any other way. 
Young mothers may feel change of the home as they care for their children. Doesn't that feel like that when your kids are little? It's like you can never leave. They're always there. They're, they're always needy. And, and you just can't seem to get out from under that. And, and everybody else seems to be enjoying life and, and contributing to society and jobs and all that. You just All you're doing is, is wiping you know, snotty noses and cleaning up poopy diapers and, and all of this. And yet, it's those seeming chains causing and are being used by God to invest in the lives of those who may impact this world for Christ. Susanna Wesley was the mother of 19 children before the days of labor-saving devices and disposable diapers. Out of that large family came John and Charles Wesley, whose combined ministry shook the British Isles. At six weeks of age, Fanny Crosby was blinded, but even as a youngster, she determined not to be confined by the chains of darkness. In time, she became a mighty force for God through her hymns and gospel songs. I think about Johnny Erickson Tata today. She wouldn't choose to be a paraplegic. But it is, but God, in God's purpose, He is using her advance the cause of Christ in her disability. And she does it with such incredible, genuine joy. I think about my, my own father, who, who was an elder for many, 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 many years in the church, who taught Sunday school to young adults for as long as I could remember. Had, a, had a, a, a Christian testimony as a businessman in the community. Everyone knew he was a Christian building houses. <clears throat> but I think that the couple years that he suffered with ALS and the way he walked that journey possibly had a greater impact on people than all those other years. I don't know that for sure. Only eternity will determine that. There's something about the way that you and I walk through difficult circumstances with a, an ability to maintain joy and a perspective on eternity and on God that has an impact like nothing else in this world for the advancement of the cause of Christ. John Wolverd said there are four biblical reasons for Christian suffering. One is sin in our own life. We bring it on ourselves because of sinful decisions and choices. Maybe, maybe it isn't even our sinful choice, but the choices of others that impact our life. A second reason is spiritual development. God wants to grow us up, and He uses difficult circumstances to mature us. Thirdly, He talks about preventing sin. You remember when, when uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul was talking about this vision and he, how he... Uh, could have boasted about that, but God gave him this thorn in the flesh. And he prayed and prayed and prayed that God would remove it, but God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. And so it's possible that difficult circumstances are to prevent us from moving into sinful areas in our life. And a fourth reason is to advance the gospel. As Paul is acknowledging here, my 
difficult circumstance is being used for the greater progress and advancement of the gospel. And it's important for Paul to keep that in mind. And it was important for the others who were concerned about that to keep that in mind. God wants to use our circumstances to advance the cause of Christ. But there's a second reason, and that is that when we walk these things, not only does it impact <coughs> excuse me, those who are lost, but it also impacts believers who, who want to trust the Lord. It is encouraging them. And look at what he says in verse 14, that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Encourage means to put courage in. And so secondly, God wants to use your circumstances to encourage the body of Christ. What you walk through, how you walk through it, can be a source of encouragement to others who are watching who are walking this journey in, in some ways with you. He says they have far more courage. That word courage means persuasion. They're built up. They're encouraged to go and preach because they see what Paul is doing for Christ. He's willing to... to be in prison and willing to stand before the emperor to, to, to share about Christ. It emboldened them to speak up the Word of God without fear. And Paul can do this. I mean, so can I. And you notice this isn't just for preachers and missionaries. This is for everybody. Most of the brethren. He says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, proclaiming Christ, even from envy and strife. There were some who were envious of Paul because he got so much attention. And they wanted some of that attention too. He says, not only envy, but strife, contention, wrangling. You know how that is. There are some who, who want to fight over the gospel. Rather than share it out of love, they, they want to they argue somebody to death. They want to make sure to, to convince them. Rarely does anybody come to Christ because of somebody arguing with them. Now, to lay out the facts, to be uh, an apologist, if you will, to, is one thing. To argue is, is very different. And this is the idea he's talking about. Contention, wrangling, the strife. But he said, and some out of goodwill. The latter, those from goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed. That is, that I'm laid down by God as, as putting down a foundation. I'm here by God's appointment for the defense of the gospel. The former, verse 17, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. Thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. 
I've listened, I, I read some commentators on this, and there's, there's some, again, some kind of speculation as to what exactly was going on here, because, because these are people who are preaching the truth, but they're doing it from wrong motivation. Maybe they were thinking that by preaching it, they, would, they, maybe they didn't like Paul. They wanted to cause Paul more problems, figured it would cause more distress for him, that they were getting all the attention and Paul wasn't. Or, or that, that his, their continuing to preach it was going to cause him to get, you know, maybe get whipped or beaten in prison because they were going to blame him for all that. We don't know what all the reasons were. But Paul says there are some who are doing this for the wrong reasons and some for the right reasons. And, and incidentally, you might have the King James in front of you and you might say, why are these two verses mixed up? <laughs> right? Verse 15, or 16 is, is 17 and 17 is 16. The best that I could, when I looked at, at all the commentators, the, the way that, that the New American Standard is, is the, is the right um, order, but possibly those who were translating it thought that because verse 15 mentions those who are doing it out of envy and strife first, that they would put that one first. Again, I'm not sure that it matters. The content is the same. It just switched there. But uh, the reality is, Paul is saying there are some who are doing it from, for wrong motives and some for right motives. He says, well, what do I do with that? Well, verse 18, what then? Only this, that in every way, whether in pretense, that is, some who are doing it kind of behind a mask of some kind, or in truth, no matter what, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Because Christ is being proclaimed. Thomas Constable in his commentary says, the power of the gospel therefore does not depend on the character of the preacher. And praise God for that. The power of the gospel does not depend on you and I as the proclaimers of it. We don't have to be perfect. To share the gospel with someone. In fact, it's probably better that they know we're not perfect because if we were perfect, we wouldn't need the gospel. If we were perfect and they thought we were perfect, they would say, well, I can never be a Christian because I'm not perfect. And I've heard that from people. Say, well, I can't be like so-and-so because I can't have everything together in my life. I'm a, I'm a mess. And I kind of clue them in. Well, guess what? They're a mess too. You just don't know it. I'm a mess too. We, we just don't always air all of our dirty laundry. But the fact of the matter is, we all need Christ. And when we're genuine about that reality, and we allow the warts and the, and the, 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 the failures to, to, to come forth, and, and the fact that we are still depending upon the forgiveness of Christ and the Gospel to work in our lives day by day, the Gospel is what the power, has the power, not us. Not our living up to it. There were people in that day who were who were doing things not for the right motives. There are people in our day who are preaching the gospel for wrong motives. If they're preaching the gospel, as it's laid out in the scripture, we can rejoice that the gospel is going forth. Warren Wearsby said this: when we have the single mind that is an eternal view on our circumstances, 
We look upon our circumstances, God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. You rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Man, isn't it so much like us to focus on our problem and think, why God didn't you come through for me in this? Why didn't you do this? I look around and I see someone else who went through something and God showed up in this way and I want him to show up in that way in my life and he doesn't. And I focus on what God didn't do instead of what God wants to do. How God wants to work. And how he can use me to breathe, not only advance the cause of Christ, but encourage others in their journey. We, like Paul, can rejoice when God uses our circumstances to encourage others. How do we walk through difficult things with joy? Looking up. Our tendency is to, to gaze on our circumstances and only glance up at God. We've got to get that turned around. We've got to gaze upon God and only glance at our circumstances. Gaze upon God and only glance at our circumstances. That gives us perspective. It keeps our focus. So we can rejoice that God is at work in this thing that I'm going through. Thirdly, God wants to use your circumstances to exalt the name of Christ. Paul says, I, I know this thing shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. First of all, what does he want? What does he know he will be delivered from? Probably not his imprisonment. He doesn't even know if he's going to die. He doesn't know that for sure. He's probably talking about the shame that he talks about in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything. He wants to be delivered from the shame of being imprisoned. And he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance in that way. As you pray for me. Paul says, I need your prayers. Because like every other human being, I'm susceptible to focusing upon my situation and thinking of all the churches that I could be starting right now, but I'm sitting here in prison chained to a guard. All these places I could be going and sharing Christ. I'm sure there's moments where he's saying, God, man, look at all that could be done if I wasn't here. But instead of focusing on that, he says, I am here. And I want to see what God is doing while I'm here. Oh my goodness, look at what he's doing. He's, he's getting the gospel into the, the lives of the guards. He's getting the gospel out to all these places. Look, he's encouraging people to, to, to be bold in their witness. So it's not just me going out. I'm here and everybody else is going out because of what God is doing with me here in this moment. And he says, and I want above everything else Christ to be exalted. Of where he has me and what he has me doing and where he, what, he, what he's doing in my life.
above everything else. He says, I want Christ to be exalted. He can rejoice because he has a good perspective. His concern is not, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm a failure because my life has ended with me being chained in prison? No, he says, whatever. Whatever God chooses for me, I, all I want is for him to be exalted. And if that means that I rot away in a prison and I die at the hands of the emperor, so be it. The next verse we'll look at next week. He says, for to me to live is Christ, to die, that's gain. Whichever happens, man, it's, it's, it's good. Like Paul, we should be more concerned about Christ's name than our own. Having a good reputation is not a bad thing. In fact, Proverbs tells us a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. But our reputation is nothing compared to the reputation of Jesus Christ. We want to live in such a way that our lives reflect glory and honor to Him. That Christ is exalted. If you're like me, too often the tendency is to think about how is this going to look? How am I going to look if, I, if this happens? What's this going to look like if, if, if I'm going through this? Christ has called us there. Christ has a purpose. We ought to think about what, what this and how I can live through this for the exaltation of Christ's reputation. See, when our perspective is only on what is happening to us rather than what God may be doing through the circumstance, Miss the opportunity to live with eternity in view. We miss the opportunity to, to see how Christ is working to advance the cause of Christ. We miss the opportunity to encourage others around us. We miss the opportunity to exalt the name of Christ in our midst. Author Richard Exley writes in one of his books, I know one minister who returned to his pulpit ten days after his son had committed suicide. Under duress, he read the text, and we know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Visibly struggling, he said, I cannot make my son's suicide fit into this passage. It's impossible for me to see how anything good can come out of it. Yet I realize that I only see in part, I only know in part. He says, it's, it's like the miracle of the shipyard. Almost every part of a great ocean-going vessel is made of steel. If you take any single part, be it a steel plate out of the hull or a huge rudder and throw it into the ocean, it will sink. 
Steel does not float. But when the shipbuilders are finished, when the last plate has been riveted in place, then that massive steel ship is virtually unsinkable. Taken by itself, he says, my son's suicide makes no sense at all. But you throw it into the sea of Romans 8.28, and it sinks. But still, he says, I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder has finally finished, and when God has worked out His perfect design, even this seemingly senseless tragedy will somehow work together for our eternal good. That's faith. That's believing God at His Word in the face of what appears to be senseless. I don't know what you are going through right this moment. I don't know what those of you online are going through right now. I don't know how incredibly difficult it is. I don't know how senseless it seems. But God wants to take that circumstance and use it to advance the cause of Christ. He wants to use it to encourage others in their journey. He wants to use it to exalt the name of Jesus. Are we going to let Him do that? Are we going to embrace that reality as we walk this journey? If we really believe God is in charge, if we really believe what we say we believe, that God is sovereign, He has this in His hands. He knows what He's doing. We see through a, a glass dimly. We only know in part. One day, one day we'll see it. But right now we walk by faith. Let the Apostle Paul and what he was going through and his perspective on it be an encouragement. God has a plan. He's working it out. Let's trust in that. Oh, Father. You are good. And you do all things well for our good, for the glory of your name, for the advancement of the cause of Christ. And though we don't always understand in the moment, though we can't always see, give us the ability to see with eyes of faith. Help us to rise above. Help us to keep our gaze upon You and only glance at our circumstances. That we might walk this journey faithfully. That we might do so with a deep, abiding joy. As we live with eternity in view. God, we ask for your help to do that. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.